0: This is Francis Whittleson. This is Benjamin Anderson. This is Dallas Alexander. I'm Alex Craner. This is Forrest Moretti.
1: This is Chris Sims. This is Chris Barber, and you're listening to the Sean Newman Podcast.
0: Welcome to the podcast, folks. Happy Friday. Man, do we have one on tap for you today. Just a quick note, uh, I, I left the link in the show notes. Uh, we uh, There might be a couple tickets left for SMP Presents, Legacy Media, Kid Carson, Byron Christopher, Chris Sims, Wayne Peters on stage Saturday night in Edmonton. Um, snag a couple if the if it'll still let you, it might be cut off. Who knows? Check it if you want to get in and hope to see you there. Hope everybody, I, it's going to be a fun night. I'm excited. I'm sitting in Edmonton right now. And, uh, let me tell you the, uh, the nerves, the excitement, all that good stuff, um I'm, I'm looking forward to it i, I love these things and uh, certainly excited now with all that being said let's 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 get you on because we got an exciting one here today as you know um McGowan professional chartered accountants that's kristen and the team uh, she's been in the financial industry since 2009 with her education and, uh, and experience in in the field and has basically been helping small to medium-sized businesses with a range you know adv- of advice and assistance uh, mainly in agricultural, retail, not-for-profit, oil and gas sectors, and they offer accounting, bookkeeping, uh, business consulting, training, and financial planning and tax planning. We're in tax season. Who You know, this is why Kristen does my taxes, because Sean is one of those guys who uh, walks in and goes, this is what I've done. What uh, What do we do? <laughs> Anyways, and she always makes me feel like I'm not such a dummy, even though we all know I'm kind of a dummy at times. For more information, or if you, uh, you know, you're looking to get a tax, uh, you know, an accountant, uh, go to McGowanCPA.ca, and uh, she can get you uh, hooked up and looked after. Rectech Power Products, next Friday, I'm going to be with them at the Lloyd X uh that is March 24th to 26th. They're going to be down there. The Spring Sport and Leisure Show at the Lloyd X. I'm going to be there on the Friday morning hanging out with the boys. I don't know. We'll see what I, what trouble I can get up to. Either way, hope to see you down there. Rectech Power Products, they've been a, a, a leader in the the power sports industry for 20 years. They offer a full lineup. You've heard them. I'll, I'll, I'll rattle through them again. Can-Am, Ski-Doo, Sea-Doo, Spider-Mercury, uh, Evinrude, Mahindra-Roxer, and... Uh, and if you're looking to see what they got on uh, tap, not on tap, I don't know, in inventory? Is that is that the way to say it? Probably inventory. Head down to the Spring Sport and Leisure Show, March 24th to 26th. That's in Lloyd Minster at the Lloyd X. And if you're, uh, you know, hard on machinery, you're coming through all the, the snowmobile uh, rallies, that type of thing, you're looking for some parts upgrades, et cetera, et cetera. Monday through Saturday, you can stop in. Uh, maintenance apartment, you get it. Go to rectechpowerproducts.com for everything they got plus uh, all the information, all right? And finally, uh, Gartner Management is a Lloydminster-based company specializing in all types of rental properties to help meet your needs, whether you're looking for a small office or you need something a little uh, more substantial. Give Wade Gartner... A call, uh, 780-808-5025. Now let's get on to that. Tail of the tape brought to you by Hancock Petroleum. For the past 80 years, they've been an industry leader in bulk fuels, lubricants, methanol, and chemicals delivering to your farm, commercial, or oil field location. For more information, visit them at hancockpetroleum.ca. One of the leaders of the Freedom Convoy, now a political prisoner. I'm talking about Tamara Leach, so buckle up. Here we go.
1: This is Tamara Leach, and you are listening to the Sean Newman Podcast.
0: Welcome to the Sean Newman Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Tamara Leach. So, uh, ma'am, thanks
1: for doing this. Thank you so much for having me. You long know, overdue. Long overdue, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. You know,
0: I, I <laughs> we uh, for the listener, we're, we're sitting in Edmonton, you know, we, we got... Uh, for me, I have, um, SMP presents, uh, coming up, uh, w- which will be tomorrow to the listener. Cause they'll listen this Friday. We're sitting here Thursday night and, mm-hmm. uh, uh, I don't know, I feel honored, but it's, it's strange because, uh, obviously we saw each other in Ottawa and, and that's, you know, where I think the trust comes from mm-hmm. is the early days of, of being in Ottawa and kind of like running into each other over and over and over again. So it's either way, super cool, uh, for you to be here. Mm -hmm.
1: Thank you. Well, I I mean, I was a fan of yours before I met you. That's why I was sort of fangirling over you in Ottawa. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yeah. I tell this often. I I mean, uh, when we got there, of course, and the doctors were there and there was all these journalists there that I'd followed all through the whole (laughs) pandemic. And, you know, most girls like hot rock stars or guitar players or actors, and I'm totally, like, fangirling over these doctors and journalists. You well, know? I, I, I fanboyed
0: over walking in. I, I chuckled. Um, the first day I got to the Art Hotel, I walked in, and standing in the lobby was Hodgkinson. Hodgkinson. Uh, Paul Alexander. Paul Alexander. There was... Um, Francis Christian. Eric Payne. Yeah. And I was like, hey, I've interviewed, like all of you i like know all of you and i walked around shook hands and whatever and then of course dan bulford showed up the, either that night or the next night and it was kind of like this everybody got together moment mm-hmm. which uh, i think a lot of us have been kind of hoping would happen. i don't think we drew up well, i certainly didn't draw up that I, especially all at the same hotel mm-hmm. that i was going to stay at you know and it was kind of uh fateful almost, you know, because uh, I'd had that hotel room bought for me by a guy from Lloyd Minster who mm. said, you know, I don't know, I can't even remember how it was, but he's like, I got a room for you. So just come to this place. And I was just, you know, like, how does that all make sense? It doesn't make sense.
1: That's right. But th- th- that was the way that the whole thing went, right? It just, things just happened naturally and organically and, and um, everybody came together that needed to be brought together. You know what I mean?
0: Kind of. Yeah. yeah. Like it was, it was very, uh, it's hard to explain mm-hmm. to people that weren't there. And honestly, even being there, I'm like, I don't even know if I fully understand uh, the, you know, the circumstances that led us all there. Um, now I, I, I'm going to say this and I already know that 99.9% of my listeners know exactly who you are. But, uh, as I told, uh, Dr. Robert Malone just a few days ago, um, maybe there's a couple people who don't know who you are. So I'm curious.
1: In Tamara's words, who is Tamara? I am just a girl that was raised on the prairies. I grew up in Saskatchewan, born and raised. Um moved to Medicine Hat in the late 90s when there was an Alberta advantage. And um uh, and then I also spent some time in Manitoba a couple times too. So I spent a lot of time on the prairies. Um I grew up in a in a home where we constantly were taking in strangers and you know my parents would pick up hitchhikers and bring them home and we'd feed them or dad would give them money or you know we'd have strangers on our couch in the morning you know I was just raised in a home where you helped people that needed help and um uh, yeah so I moved to Alberta I got into oil and gas and um, that was primarily my most of what I did for my career um, to date you, um, and yeah I've got three kids and four grandkids and um, I got involved obviously I, I'm gonna politics. I,
0: I, I want to know mm-hmm. what part of Saskatchewan I, I'm, I'm curious you oh, know yes. I, I, I joke with twos about this all the time it's like Saskatchewan has taken over the world like yeah. it kind of Figuratively, obviously, but like it seems like everybody has roots to Saskatchewan. We, we are a, a, a weed or something that just uh, in the best uh, sense mm-hmm. that just seems to have spread and everybody has ties back to Saskatchewan. I find it very... Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm Curious, maybe, I, but I, I'm. I guess I'm. I'm interested. Where you grew up in Saskatchewan? You know,
1: Elon Musk has ties to Saskatchewan. For Pete's right. sake, yeah. I. I was. Uh, we lived all over. My dad bought grain for the wheat pool when I was young, so we moved quite often. So, but uh, my parents are from Cornac, Saskatchewan. They were born and raised there, and uh, so uh, I've lived in Cornac, Elida, Shonovan, Frontier, East End, Simi, Dollard like <laughs> if that isn't saskatchewan i don't know what is. You know, it it's is like, <laughs> yeah it, it's the flat no tree part of saskatchewan though not the gorgeous you know hills and lakes and trees part <laughs> it's funny
0: because I, I, you know i'm born in um certainly from a farm but you know we we come from hillmont and our, you know i always you know growing up somebody's like "Oh, where are you from and i'm like well, you're not going to know. I'll say Lloyd Minster. And mm-hmm. they're like, well, no, no, where, where are you from? And then you say Hillmont, and everyone's like, yeah, I don't know. That, well, that's right, because, you know, half the time it isn't even on the bloody map, let alone, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, But it, funny story. Jim Pattison. Oh, yeah. Pattison signs. Very yeah. successful. Um, I got to go interview him. This is, uh, geez, the summer of 2020, I think. Has it been that long? I suppose it has. And he has... Um, the reason I got let through the doors I'm told by his assistant is cuz I, I told him I was from Saskatchewan. As soon as they f- heard that, they welcomed me in. And he after we did our interview, he was like just so proud to show me everything. He's about 91 I think at the time. I I haven't I assume he's still alive and I, I feel sorry for even saying that cuz I'm I'm pretty sure he's still with us. Mm-hmm. But uh, he was just proud to show him all these things of his life. And he had this giant map of Saskatchewan. He's like, Where are you from? And I'm like, Oh, probably isn't on there. And then I started looking. I'm like, Holy crap. That's where I'm from, right there. Hillman is on this map mm. and this, you know, very successful businessman. And then he goes in, and That's where I'm from. And we were, you know, like, I don't know, like three inches apart. Three inches apart, <laughs> you know, and in Saskatchewan. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. pretty wow, darn close. That is close. Know? Yeah. Yeah. <gasps> cool. Well, it, yeah, I'm curious. Okay. How does, you know, I, 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 I feel I'm a pretty uh, simple, plain Jane guy, you know, mm-hmm. and I found my way to Ottawa. How does Tamara get involved in this? Started with this? I didn't even I didn't even know like wh- where's the origin story? How does
1: this begin? It yeah, it's it's crazy. <laughs> well, I guess for me, um, I started paying attention to politics before Stephen Harper was elected, and I mean like because until then. You know, my eyes would glaze over. I didn't care, didn't want to know. It was boring. And um, it was really the sponsorship scandal that really opened my eyes to what was Fill me going in. On. Yeah, I was John Critchin's government there when they were paying. Um, it was just, I hate to say typical, but it's true. It's, but it was typical. just your typical political scams, you know, money and and stuff anyways so that kind of really opened my eyes to to things that were going on so I followed it um, through the media news media you know for the next few years and then um, I just I started getting as I came back to Alberta and I got back into the oil patch and I started seeing what you know the government the the Bill C-69 and Bill C-48 and that type of legislation that was really affecting people that I knew you know, um, like I said in my testimony at the POEC, I mean, I remember a couple of years ago, you know, grown men bringing me their resumes because I just got laid off two weeks before Christmas, like crying, you know, you know, over this stuff. And I thought, well, this doesn't make any sense. I mean, Canada has the most environmentally friendly and uh, energy efficient oil and gas industries in the world. Like it, we should be screaming it from the rooftops. And so I got to, I got involved with a local group because finally I just had enough and I said I got to do something I I have to help here if I can, and there was a local group of um, I guess activists for lack of a better word that were having rallies every weekend and and they were modeling themselves at that time after the Yellow Vest movement in Fran- in France, and so I got involved met some really great people and we went and did these rallies every Saturday with our signs on the side of the road by Tim Hortons and Medicine Hat and um i mean we got a little bit of attention but you know after a while of course that just kind of went away and i went back to living my life and when um trudeau won the 2019 election i became a part of wexit you probably remember the whole oh yeah i i I, I
0: went in um Oh, who is the guy who... Peter Downing. Yes, sorry, yes. yes yeah, yeah, I Peter went. I, I went and watched him speak in Lloyd. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I think um, 2019, you know, uh, for a lot of people, I, I remember watching that election first election maybe, folks, that I've ever watched start to finish. Mm. And I've, I've talked an awful lot about me just living under a rock or, or maybe not being the right age or maybe, you mm-hmm. know, it's, certainly there's a lot of things that happened since, like, Trudeau getting in times in almost perfectly with us having our first child. And I think as soon as you have kids, you start thinking differently about the world. Mm-hmm. And, you, you know, you, you, now you have someone to protect and think for and, and try and tr- – anyways, yeah. lots of different things. 2019, I was sitting on the couch, and I couldn't believe it. Like, it, it just – and – he, and, he, and, he, and he's gonna win and I and then you saw the anger come from Western Canada yes. and so I, I went and I went and listened to um, him talk in Lloyd and um, I just knew at that time that wasn't it like mm-hmm. I've, I've, I and maybe that was the wrong thought I don't know but obviously it didn't uh, it didn't end up growing into well, anything
1: more and maybe now we're finding out how he won that election <laughs> fair I mean Because I was both the last, the last ones, both of them, I was just stunned because it's just been scandal after scandal after scandal. And I'm thinking, who is voting for this man? Yeah. Like, how can you watch this kind of behavior? I mean, I think their ethical uh, um, issues have, like, gone off the charts. They're probably unprecedented.
0: Well, and everything he stood for, you know, uh, or says he stands for, you know, women, Mm. women, minorities, mm-hmm. First Nations, blah, 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 blah. I mean, I don't need to list them off. Well, I mean, you got Jody um, Wilson-Raybould, yep. right? You got the first National Reconciliation Day instead of, you know, the, the, whether you were for or against the day, put that to the side. Put yourself in that position. What would you be doing? Oh, I, I would assume I'd be in Ottawa with uh, a bunch of the chiefs or something along that lines showing... Having a big ceremony and, like, I don't even know bringing people together is in my brain. Instead, he's in Dofino.
1: Surfing. Just, and I'm
0: just like, well, you've just... In my brain, I'm like, good. You've just pissed off the entire First Nations culture. Like, like every person in that group should be just absolutely... Wanna, appalled.
1: Appalled. Appalled. Like, that was so disrespectful, in my opinion. I couldn't believe it either. And, and you know, it's funny that you say that because... Um, uh, the clan mothers. I don't know if you ever met the clan mothers when you were in Ottawa with us, but there was two that um, that I was with often, and Nolene and Sandra. And when Nolene did her witness statement for the public inquiry, like she said right in it, she's 60, late 50s, early 60s, uh, a Danae clan mother from the Yellowknife. And she said that the convoy in Ottawa was the closest thing to an actual reconciliation that she's witnessed in her lifetime, which is pretty profound.
0: Well, I I don't need to tell you this. This is probably more for just the listener, but um, Ottawa was... Like, it didn't matter if your faith, your color, your creed, your... I, your social economic status, anything. I've never seen anything so like just beautiful mm-hmm. in the fact of how people were treating each other, how they were looking out for one another, how they were just like, I don't know. I, I, I've i said this lots. It's the first time I've ever fed the homeless. I, I, yeah. I, I just, and in saying that, a guy should be doing that more, right? Um, But it took Ottawa to do that. Yeah. And then watch them talk about how it was, you know, White supremacy and all these different things, and I'm like, "You've been like, is, like you keep talking that way. How will you come down and see what's going on here, right?" I learned more history. Do you remember all the flags? Mm-hmm. There was um, a, you know, I was I told Quebecer like, you know, Quebec. I, I still remember being out on uh, Parliament Hill when Quebec showed up the first night. Showed up yeah. at about one in the morning. All the trucks came in, and they just played their horn like it was magnificent. Uh, one of those memories I will never forget. And uh, I was never more proud to see, like, the Quebec flag come in and be side-by-side with Alberta because we were told, we're, you know, and I, we yeah. talked about this lots. lot. We're supposed yeah. to hate each other. That's right. Uh, so that fell away right away. And then there was a bunch of uh, what I learned was different First Nations flags. And I'd never, you know, now this might be Sean not reading his history. That mm-hmm. That's fair enough. But then, you know, everybody started talking about all these. Well, why are you carrying that flag? You know, everybody focused on the, the, uh, the, the, the Nazi, the Nazi flag, flag and what was the, the other Confederate one? Flag. Confederate one. I didn't see any of those. The, the, the crazy thing is, is anyone on the ground? Certainly, uh, it was there. It's not. I'm not saying it wasn't. Uh, we've all heard the story of you know, and and certainly how they tried to portray it. But the amount of flags that were there, that like, you saw all these different flags, and if you ask the stories on them. It was all these, like, beautiful stories of First Nations supposed to be working in harmony with either the French or the English Mm -hmm. way back when. Like, that was, it was a history lesson. You walked out, you saw all these different people that were told were supposed to hate. A, that wasn't there. That's right. And then, two, it was a history lesson for me with all the different flags and what they meant and were supposed to mean that nobody knew about. And you're like, huh. Anyways.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, yeah, and that was the great thing about it. I mean... Like you just said, you just nailed it. And I've said that all along, too. It didn't matter what color you were, what God you worshipped, what part of the country you lived in. You know, I've told the story a million times, but, you know, we're coming through Winnipeg on our way to Ottawa. And, you know, there's native drummers like in their full regalia. Banging their drums on the side of the highway, and there's Sikh men standing behind or beside them, and nuns in full habits, and then these Hutterite ladies with signs and their little kids. And that's when that really hit me because I was like, Look at all this diversity and inclusion. Yeah, (laughs) that's actually really happening. Nobody cared who you were, or like not who you were, but where you came from or what you did for a living. You know, it was the biggest show of unity. And the Canadian spirit that I've ever seen, maybe since Terry Fox
0: seen I, I don't remember Terry yeah. Fox well, so I, I, I do remember Terry so Fox. so I always well I, I always point out it was like the Sydney Crosby goal in Vancouver times like i don't I don't even I don't even know for Canadians, I just say imagine your specific team won the Stanley Cup, all of them at the same time, on the same day, in the same year. And everybody went out and celebrated. Except, the difference is is being on that highway and seeing the level of desperation in people. Like you gotta, you gotta stay, you gotta stay there, and you gotta make sure that when you come back, this is all gone. That's right. And people are weeping, and people are like giving you uh, the the amount of, you know, I, I interviewed somebody before I left, and they were talking about how they couldn't store any more food in their vehicle. They were just like. It, like, you just got to come and see it. Like, you, you can't understand how much food is in here. And I just, I keep telling them, like, I got no more. But you, you feel bad for not taking it. So you just keep taking it and putting it on the floor and whatever. And uh, certainly th- nobody was exaggerating. It was everybody, the level of desperation. Like, like, can you imagine sitting out in minus 40 weather on the side of a highway with a bonfire and just losing your absolute crap in excitement as this convoy that's four hours late because instead of going at 80 kilometers an hour, it's doing like 22 kilometers that's an right. hour <laughs> at the best of times, right? Like I just, I didn't even, someday my kids will be older and I'll try and explain it to them. I don't, I don't even know how to, yeah. because like the CBC should have been there the entire way, should have rode shotgun the entire time and just filmed the entire thing. It was the most beautiful thing I've ever seen come yeah, out of
1: Canada. Agreed. And yeah. in our lead,
0: anyways, I'm.
1: I agree. And yeah, you're right. I mean, people would be like, "Don't, don't come back. You stay there till these mandates are gone, and are, you know, we, you know, stay there till you're bringing our freedoms back." And you know, it was. Uh, I've I spoke a lot about that too. I mean, the stories that that I've heard, I'm sure that you've heard, and everybody on that convoy heard, are heartbreaking. But they're all, they also show the, a resilience. Like Canadians are a special people. I, well, I think even more so now than I did, you know, a year and a half ago. But I mean, we, we naturally want to help people and we naturally want to be together and, and uh, celebrate who we are. And, and we should be. I mean, this is one of the things that I find so frustrating about the last, let's say, eight years is that, you know, we've been constantly been told by our leader that we should feel ashamed that we should be apologizing for things that we had nothing to do with you know i i would love to see him come out one day and just celebrate canada and canadians and the people that are in it instead of trying to pick and poke and pull people apart from my perspective you know but i mean even the quebecers like you said i mean that was my first big epiphany before we even left is communicating with them and you know, helping them organize, because we had the road captains, all the road captains from, you know, all the provinces, and I had like messenger chats with all of them, you know, and uh, when the Quebec- Quebecers came on board, I was blown away, totally blown away. And exactly like you said, because I thought, this has all been a goddamn lie. They're just like us, just the same, you know, but that's not what we hear out here through, through the media.
0: Yeah, that's it's um that's probably in I assume uh the journey you've had which is um beyond unique uh I assume one of the the things that has to sting the most is how the media has portrayed you how you know I don't I don't even know I don't even know do they did they ask to have you on do would you oblige to have it you know would you would you go i I don't know
1: well we decided very early on um obviously I recognized I saw how fast this was growing and I was like well we need a finance committee we need a social media committee we need a media committee like a you know uh, and a you know and we decided kind of early on that we were going to be very choosy about the media that we dealt with because they have not respected us by telling the truth for years I don't know when it started I'll tell you when I noticed it because I was that woman that got up every morning made her coffee sat down watched the news, the Canadian news loops, I'd watch the first loop and then I'd start getting ready and listen to them, you know, and I listened and I watched the news every, every day. And it was the 2016 election between Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump. When I started really paying attention to the, I think you still call them anchors, I don't even know. Um, the anchor people, I would watch their tone, their facial expressions Um, when they would be talking about Clinton and then they would change when they'd start talking about Trump, almost get the smarmy look on their face, that their tones would change. The descriptors that they would use would change. And I thought, what's happening here? Like, you're not supposed to be there giving me your opinion. You're just supposed to be telling me the facts. And I watched this progress through that whole time period and it just got worse and worse and worse. And so... I mean, they, they lost a lot of our trust, I think, a lot, a lot of the trust of a lot of people. So we were quite uh, choosy about who we were going to talk to when we got there. So I remember Benjamin had set up the first press conference and we didn't invite any like CTV, CBC, Global. We, you know, had Andrew and Rupa and, uh, I think Kian Bexty was there and, uh, Alexa from Rebel News was there. You know, we had different uh, independent journalists, um, and kind of as a, you know, we're on to you. We see what you guys are doing, and we're not going to play into it. And if I've got one big lesson in all of this, it's been dealing with Glenn McGregor from CTV News. That guy cracks me up. He's he's uh, something. Well, what did? What about him? Well, I just mean his tactics. Oh, oh sorry, so to go back to your question. Yeah, there was a lot of media, different media reaching out to me. Um, through email and text, but I got so busy that I couldn't even answer them. But I know I, I know CBC has reached out to me, and C- CTV for sure had reached out to me. Uh, I guess the behavior that I've seen from Glenn McGregor was quite dis- disgusting to me. And uh, just one example was my last bail hearing when I was released from jail in the summer. And, um, of course, I've got friends there to help. You know, help me get out and, and get me to this vehicle. And because I, I never knew who's going to be anti protesters out there or whatever. And so my friend brings the car to the front, and we'd been in these bail hearings for two days because I don't have normal bail hearings. What do you I mean? Have, I don't have normal, like, half a day bail hearings. Mine usually take two full days for some reason. Okay. And uh, Glenn McGregor had been in, in these hearings for two days, limping because I think he had a ball injury or something, I don't know, limping on this one bad leg. And my friend said he went and got the car to, to get it, and all he could see when I was coming out was a blue streak running across the parking lot. It was Glenn. Anyways, we come out of the courtroom, and if you see the video, you can kind of see me, you know, kind of move to the side, because there was a commotion over here. And it was Glenn McGregor running in and elbowing his way through people, Trying to get him and his camera in to shove a microphone in front of my face. Like it was no excuse me, sir, ma'am. It was literally just uh, somebody, I think somebody calls him Punchy McGregor now. I can't remember maybe it was Derek Smith. I don't know what. (laughs) (laughs) Like just obnoxious and rude and any dealings that I had with him in some of the bigger press conferences that we did in Ottawa. The first one that we did at the Marriott I don't know if you were you were probably there you were still in Ottawa then anyways
0: well we've had this chat about what's what, what Sean does so yeah you know it, it's it's um there's foggy parts for sure yeah. and uh um no I I had to catch up when I got home I had to like you know took my time but then I just slowly started watching some of it again to kind of catch up on what I'd missed because there was, there was a good chunk that I hadn't paid attention to. I had real hard time for about a month after even catching up on uh, up to speed on what had went on. You know, one of the tough days, you know, uh, I've talked to you about how, what my thoughts on Chris Barber is. And certainly if people have listened to this, they know that I think very highly of him. and seeing him get arrested. I didn't believe it at first. I'm like, that, that isn't like, why are, no, no. And then, you know, more came out, more came out, and certainly they'd arrested him.
1: And I was like, oh. "And He is the farthest thing from a criminal. Well, I, I or mean. Or even a
0: bad human being. I mean, he, he's. A t- typical great human being. He'll he'll call out everything he's done wrong, and he's trying to learn from it, right? That's isn't, right. Isn't yeah. that what we want out of That's leaders? the
1: whole point of living your life, in my opinion, right? Yeah. yeah. I I know, and has testimony at the POEC, you know, he's the first person to get up and own that, you know, maybe he hasn't always had... Uh, PC points of view, right? Maybe he has had some things that people might question, but that whole experience changed him. I mean, how could it not? How could it not? Yep. Right, it, it changed all of us, I think.
0: Well, I, you know, I, for the listener who never went, they probably get tired of hearing. Um, Here, I don't know. Actually, I've never asked. It's, it's just, it's hard to. Ex- I mean, you go and experience something like that. You're never like, like, how do you come out of that not seeing the world different? Right. You don't have to go spiritual or nothing. You just go, you, you literally touch that and seen, you know, the, the first, the first day on that street and how much snow was there and how hard it was slogging. And then the shovels came out when the wheelchair came and nobody, anyways, and mm-hmm. right, we all know the story. Yeah, yeah. But I remember walking the street and being like, what is, like this, it was easier to walk on the street. The street was almost clear. The Sidewalk, you know, you know, I'm not... I won't put words in anyone's mouth. The, the the snow on the sidewalk was insane. It was like fresh powder. Mm-hmm. It was difficult to walk. I think that, that paints a good image for most people. Like it was tough. Okay. And then, you know, the wheelchair and they're like, we can't get it. Oh, and all of a sudden the shovel came out. And then from that point on, that sidewalk was like spotless.
1: Well, that's because the guys went and bought a whole bunch of that's shovels, right? right? Yeah.
0: We were... So you you participate in that. You come away from it. If that's all you participate in for the rest of the time, you won't, that's what you're gonna remember. Like, yeah. th- who does that? Mm-hmm. Nobody. I've never seen that done in my life.
1: No. Like, I've never even heard of anything like that. Yeah. You don't go to. It was the cleanest city. It was uh, the safest city. Uh, we were shoveling snow and salting the ice. Do you remember and all feeding the feeding the homeless? All the.
0: Uh, <sighs> I remember garbage being an issue at one point, yeah. and then somebody came with all the garbage bags and started taking away all the garbage. And then there was like a garbage bag. Like every 10 feet, like I've never seen that many. You, you're like, oh, I got, oh, garbage. Oh, right. The, or I could put it over. There. There's just garbage bags everywhere. everywhere. Yeah. So there was just the level of that. I remember um, the Terry Fox monument and uh, there was people watching all day after, you know, the incident. And and so people were standing guard. And uh, I remember uh, a couple saying, you know, I just got to go home. And I'm like, oh, I'll go stand guard. Not a big deal. And mm-hmm. so I was walking down there the one night to go like take over shift or whatever. And I got down there and there was like no less than 15 people just standing around. I'm like, oh, what's going on? Oh, we all just came down. Now. I'm like, Oh, I'm not, what the heck am I doing? I'm going <laughs> to yeah. go back home. Now. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go grab a, a nap or whatever. Right. Like yeah. the, it, that just spread.
1: It you was know? such a sense of community. That's, the, you know, it was a beautiful, beautiful community and, and people just looking out for each other. And, and it was always very much see a need, fill a need, you know, like if people saw something that would that needed to be done like picking up garbage they would just pick up garbage or if they saw snow that needed to be shoveled they would just shovel snow like nobody was telling anybody what to do you know what i mean like that and that's why it was so beautiful is there there was nobody saying you guys go get shovels and go shovel metcalf right people just saw that and did it because they knew that it needed to be done i was
0: standing out um uh sitting with a guy and a half ton this is the one I don't know what night this is but it's like 9 30 at night and uh I'm sitting there and I'm talking to him and we're just having a friendly conversation and um certainly anyone who crossed my path uh, in that time I just talked to everybody because I'd, I'd early on been told Antifa was everywhere mm-hmm. and so I was just like oh, I'm gonna that's a terrible thing to tell me because that's like fear through the roof and i'm like i didn't come here to be fear, you know so i just started talking to everybody so i you know i'm sitting you know and there was a guy sitting in his half ton all by himself so i just walked up and we started talking and here was this they were there was there was four of them and i'm like are you seeing this and he's like what And i'm like look at them and we just people watched there's four people walking in a in a circle of essentially the block um which they were on um you know, by that time everybody was worried about nails in front of tires and people doing things like that. But what they were also doing was they were scanning for garbage, and it was oh. like you could just—they'd take about five steps and they'd look and then they grab and they keep it. I'm like, this is wild. This is in the middle of Ottawa. People are walking in a circle at 9:30 at night, picking up garbage. Like, think about that. And we're like, yeah, this is wild. Like, you know, I I can. Uh, you have this on steroids. I just laugh. Like mm. when you talk about how Ottawa changes, like because you saw things there that I've never ever seen in my life and I don't even know how to recreate it. Yeah, that's right. Can, well, how can you? Can it
1: Can it be recreated? I, I don't think so.
0: Not I, not, not the convoy, yeah. but what was experienced in the convoy?
1: The, the sense of community yeah. and the unity. I, be, I believe so because I think fundamentally that's who most of Canadians are. I really do and um i mean it's supposed to happen on canada day you know in a perfect world um canada day has always been one of my most favorite holidays always until of course the last few years and i actually just stopped i didn't go to fireworks anymore and nothing and and um it was a crying shame. I was so excited for Canada Day again this year, finally, and I spent it in jail instead. <laughs> Let's talk about jail. You know, yeah.
0: uh, one of the... How many days was it? It was 18 the first stint? Yeah, 30, um, roughly, thir- yep, the second? Yeah, 30 the second. So I, got, I
1: believe to- it's 48 total. 48 total. Yeah.
0: In this time frame, everybody knows you're sitting there, but nobody has... Any idea, like, you know, honestly, I, like, this is, this is uh, in the last, what has it been about, month, you did Trishwood, you've done Rupa, I saw you did Western Standard, uh, I feel honored to be in that little grouping, you know, and, uh, but before that, I haven't heard Jack Squat from him, and, you know, there were some stories while you're in prison that, rush across the headlines and then people are firing texts everywhere. No, Tamara's fine. They're like, you know, give the audience, give me what, I mean, did you ever think you were getting out? Like, did, I don't think you, like, did you think you
1: were going for that long? <laughs> I certainly didn't. I mean, we, uh, of course, you know, having some former or ex law enforcement people that were involved, you know, in the organization or became involved in the organization, uh, Typically, what happens is uh, we knew that it was possible. I mean, it's always possible that we could get arrested. Hell, it was possible that we could be shot. I remember telling that to Chris Barber, like on the way to Ottawa, I, we, I said, We don't know what we're walking into here. Like, we don't know if we're gonna get arrested we don't know if we're gonna get shot like you know Uh, we just had no idea what to expect as we got closer to ottawa so uh, anyways typically what happens is you know you're arrested if it's not like a serious like a firearms charge or murder well even murderers i guess get out right away you typically they they book you a bail hearing right away and they get you out you'll sign you know your own recognizance or whatever and and off you go and so of course that was a Thursday that we were both arrested. Chris got his bail hearing the next day, or was it Saturday? Anyway, so he was released and sent on his way home. And then they'd booked my the, the remainder of my hearing for the Tuesday after the long weekend. So the same justice, or judge, I can't remember, bourgeois, had the entire weekend to see this massive military style takedown so when she came in and delivered her decision on that Tuesday I was stunned I was really I was literally stunned I mean she tore one up one side of me and down the other she was talking about how I was too dangerous to be let back out in her community like she said my community about 12 times I think which she, it's not you know. She's supposed to be a judge, and she's not supposed to be biased. When you when you start saying stuff like that, your bias is showing. Anyways, um, yeah. So she remanded me in custody, and I I was completely shocked. I had no idea at that point what to expect, or I mean, I certainly didn't think I was going to be in there for eighteen days the first time. Is there a point in
0: the eighteen days where you're like, "Am I ever getting out of this thing"? Cause you know, I've heard you talk and I, 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 forgive me if I'm remembering this wrong, but you know, like I feel like you've said at some point, like, you know, if, if they take me for not 18, but if they take me for the next year, like I'm, I'm ready. I'm, I, mm-hmm. I I can handle this. Totally ready. You know, but 18 days is kind of a lifetime. Like to not know when you're, you know, oh, and here's the light at the end of the tunnel. You're going to be out this day and don't worry about it. We'll get
1: you out and whatever else. Well, I think the worst part in that scenario is that you never know. I mean, you just book a hearing and and then a few days later you get a decision. So, and because the court system is is completely a disaster right now, I mean, you, you don't get in to see a judge. You don't get before a judge in a timely fashion. I mean, and a prime example is, you know, I was arrested on February 17th of 2022. My trial is hopefully going to start on september 5th of 2023 that's a year and a half you know i haven't even been found guilty and uh you know and i'm living under these crazy conditions and i haven't been found guilty of a crime so i i mean the whole thing is it's it's craziness and uh I certainly never expected it to be that long. And I think that's the thing you don't ever have, like, okay, on this day, I'm going home because you just never know. I mean, you never know what the judge's decision is going to be. You know, the the, the last day, a prime example, the last, my last hearing in the summer, I remember like not knowing, I didn't know if he was going to release me. I didn't know what was going on. Um, right at the end there when he said, I don't know if you watched my last hearing at all, but anyways, he heard the submissions. The judge says, I'll be back in 15 minutes. And I was like, oh my God, I think I'm getting out today. And the bailiff that took me out into the cell in the hallway, she was like, you're going home today. And I said, no. And I kind of started shaking because I didn't want to get my hopes up. Right. Cause I'm very much, I always try to be a realist. I don't want to, I don't want to be disappointed. And, and, uh, yeah, so that, that like probably three minutes that it took him to read his decision felt like three hours because I still, until they took off my handcuffs and my shackles and w- let me out of the prisoner's box, didn't believe that it that it was going to happen.
0: You, <laughs> I was talking with my father about this. Um, when they put the shackles on your legs, were you like, really? Did you, <laughs> did you just like, like really guys? like? Do I yeah. really need shackles? Yeah. I'm being held on what? Mischief? Yeah. Alleged. Alleged yeah. mischief?
1: Mischief folks? Yeah. Like this <laughs> Like this is <sighs> Bizarro land. Totally. I never see anything like it. Uh yeah, I and I didn't know what to expect. But you know, I, I like I, I did that video the night before and I was totally at peace with it. I just thought everything everything till that point that happened was supposed to happen. And I mean, so many things were exposed during that period of time. And so when I was arrested, I mean, of course, I had a little bit ang- of anxiety about the unknown because I've never been through this process before, but I didn't feel like afraid or afraid for my life. Um, I did have a moment in there the first time where I was like, well, I could see how I could be Epsteined in here. I mean, I was in solitary confinement. I had a couple of officers come in that said that they dealt with high profile cases and they wanted to know if I was worried about my safety. And then they kind of explained to me how things go in jail. If you, if the girls don't like you and uh, excuse me. And I, and uh, then they said, well, are you worried? And I said, well, well, I kind of am now. I mean, I felt fine before you guys hauled me into this room and told me this terrible stuff. But, but did you, I just made, I just thought, you know what? There's obviously more work to be done. Uh, He's not, he's not finished with me yet. So, you know, I can camp. Did you uh,
0: you mentioned solitary confinement. Did they do that? Was that like one
1: day, all the days? Uh it was the first week at least for sure that I was arrested in the winter and I guess it was probably their covid policy right because we had to be separated or quarantined for 14 days. So they had me downstairs in the dungeon. It was a literal dungeon. Uh, for at least five five or six days, and then they moved me up to cell block, and there was actually, ironically, another girl named Tamara was in the cell in solitary confinement beside me downstairs, and so because we'd come in, I guess, at the same time, um, they put both of us in the same cell block upstairs. Two Tamaras. Who would have known?
0: was kind of an odd...
1: And then when I was in jail in the same place in the summer, there was another Tamara in there, so... It's funny because I never hear that name very often. So to have three of us <laughs> in jails was quite humorous. You know, it's it's funny
0: to to think they'd put you in solitary for COVID, but that was the world we were in back then. I mean, it's a, an insane thought, but that, that was where we were at back then.
1: And I had never considered that before because I, I don't live in that world, but I spent two days with a, with a rag... Cleaning graffiti off my walls because it's jail. There's some nasty stuff on the walls. And I thought, if I need to be here, I need to make this my space and I need to be comfortable in my space. So I went to work and I started scrubbing all this graffiti off except for the nice stuff. And one of the things that was on the wall when it really hit me that COVID affected these people too, prisoners. It was, it was heartbreaking. It was some to the effect of the first 14 days are the hardest. You know, you're going to get through this kind of like, hang on, hang in there, brighter days are coming. And I remember reading that and I and I got teary eyed because I, I, I'd never even thought of it from their perspective before. I mean, you have no control over that, at least at home in Medicine Hat. We're locked down and in our homes, but I have my husband there or my children, right? Um... When you're in jail, you don't even have that. You don't have any control. They just separate you and you get stuck all by yourself for two weeks, minimum 14 days. No one to talk to. No TV. You know, I mean, it, I think it took them four or five days to even get me a book. I was begging for a book. I'll, I'll take a Bible. I will take anything you have, you know, because um, it's long days. What was the first book they gave you? I did end up getting a Bible um, the first book I, I think it was a not it was a fiction book about um, Napoleon it was kind of weird the books that I ended up reading in jail because they all had something relevant to my situation I read like an 800 page book on Mary Queen of Scots when I was in the last time and I say that's what jinxed me in my first bail hearing in the summer because I got this book and I was Mary Queen of Scots. So I, ooh, I really wanted to read this biography and I thought I shouldn't start this book because I have a hearing in like two days and so there's no point and so I think I jinxed myself by starting it because I had to stay there until I finished it <laughs> and I did. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, if that isn't glass half full, I don't know what is. You <laughs> right. know, like eighteen days followed by thirty. Um, I want to. You, you talk about cleaning the space, and you kept the positive message. W- was there anything you you mentioned the fourteen days, which I, I think is um, really good for people to hear? Was there anything else on the walls that caught you by surprise? Or you're like, oh, well, that's a beautiful message, or that was.
1: Uh, there was another one. I can't remember exactly what it said, but it had something to do with uh, this lady that I think she had lost her job or something. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it was, it was kind, of, it was moving too. And then there was a couple of like hearts um, that were written that had been drawn on. So I left, I left those up, and I just got rid of everything else. You know, it it must have been. <coughs>
0: You know, sticking with uh, being in jail. Like, I mean, you get out, you come back to Alberta. What were what were the stipulations you had on you, or, or still have on you? What what, what are?
1: I was banned from Ottawa. I was banned from Ontario. Uh, You're not allowed in Ontario. I, well, I am now because we did have that changed. Okay, but, but isn't that hilarious though? Like, how do you how are you banned in Ontario? <laughs> Anyways. um... Uh, non-contact orders with, like, Chris and Pat and Benjamin, Tom Marazzo, um, and, and then some people that I don't even know. Like, there's people on my non-con that I've never even met. I have no idea who they are, but apparently I'm not supposed to talk to them. So that makes that easy. Uh, I'm not allowed to organize, promote protests or rallies of any kind, especially... Um, surrounding COVID 19 mandates. Uh, obviously, I can't organize a convoy or anything like that. Um, now, my conditions have been changed that I can be in Ottawa, but I am not allowed in the red zone downtown. So I think that's it. Uh, I'm sure I'm missing some, but they're just really crazy conditions, especially for someone that's never had a, like, a, I've never been arrested, I have no criminal record. No, allowed on social media, no yeah, sorry, that's the big big one, yeah, I'm not allowed to log into social media, post to social media, or ask anybody to post on to social media on my behalf, or indicate my approval I, I don't know, it's bizarre. has that been
0: uh i act I always think that you, chris, Tom all these different people were like best of friends and you, you know but the, the truth of the story that probably is not at all uh, I mean at least before right yeah right? we didn't even know each other right. before right um, the fact that you can't just have like a evening sarsaparilla sit across from somebody and just I don't know even just like share some stories about like man that was what well, debrief was, thank you debrief is yeah and
1: you know, in the military, I remember Tom Marazzo talking about this, like when they get deployed and their and their tours over, they don't just don't get on a plane and go home to their families. They go to an island, I think he said it was Cyprus, but I'm not exactly sure, where they're all there with their people for a month so that they can ha- basically have their, holy cow, what just happened and then obviously the trauma and stuff that comes with that, um you know like they get to work through that together because you know i mean unless you were there you'll never fully understand what it was like and and in our case like we were in even different circumstances because we were in the thick of it and and well we were all in the thick of it but we were under more pressure i think because we were core or original you know organizers volunteers and And that's been taken away from us. Like you know, we've never had a chance to just all sit down in a room together, unless we have lawyers present, where we can just have those conversations. And you know, I can't just call up Chris and if you know, and and see if he's having a good day or how he's managing or Tom Arazzo. You know, and in in our situation, I mean, there's people that I met a year ago that mean more to me and I trust more than people I've known my whole life like we went there as strangers but we left there as a family and it's that it is challenging and I find that challenging that we can't you know I can't call Danny and to see how he's doing or you know how his life is going you know, this has affected all of our lives in a profound way. There's criminal charges. There's civil suits. You know, there's people all over social media saying we're Nazis and terrorists and this and that and all the rest of it. And you know, we get attacked on all these fronts. But we don't. Ha- we don't have. We can't sit here like you and me, and you know, have a conversation about it or have a hug about it or you know, and and that's been stolen from us.
0: Yeah. That's um. I don't know why this comes to mind. So this, uh, this, here's your positive thought: somewhere out there, there's an artist that could do this. You know the painting where they're they're in the diner and it's like James Dean and <laughs> yeah. and um, I don't know is it Elvis? Yeah. I can't remember all Marilyn Monroe. Marilyn Monroe. Yeah. yeah. We, I don't know why I think this, but wouldn't it be cool to have somebody paint the the picture of the the notorious whatever it is and everybody's just sitting around a diner or a pool table or whatever, uh, because you guys literally can't. You, you know, they they probably assume, probably the assumption. This is my logical brain going with it, which is you know, my logical brain needs at times to shut the hell up because you know you look around the world and nothing makes sense. Mm-hmm. But it, you go, well, I don't want Tamera to marry with Chris and and Dan and Tom and all these different people because maybe they'll start it again, and that's where it all stemmed from. Except what they don't understand is that's not at all happened at all. No,
1: it, you know, like even if we wanted to, like I said. That was a once in a lifetime thing, in my opinion. It was a perfect storm of events. It was after two years of these mandates and, you know, families, you know, I I don't have to revisit all the stories, but I mean, there was just, it was a perfect storm of events and, um, and it just grew. It just became this giant grassroots, you know, organic movement. I mean, we didn't see that coming. Nobody. Nobody no. can. I, I that told coming. you. I
0: interviewed Chris Barber. Yeah. So I I interviewed him. I think it was like five days before they started to leave, and he's pulled over on the side of a highway. In his semi, in somewhere in the states, and he's explaining to me what this is because I got told about it like two days before, and I'm like, oh, okay, whatever, yeah, sure. And he's telling me, and I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, okay, well, good luck, like yep. good luck. <laughs> and um, you know, of course, uh, all the listeners of the show know that you know that 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 interview eventually gets my entire YouTube channel just nuked. Like, just... And I'm wow. not saying I was playing by the rules before that. I'd certainly had Peter McCullough and, uh, you know, Paul Alexander and all these different doctors on, and that was getting me strikes and everything else, but that that thing got me nuked. Wow. And it was only, like, four days after that interview, but I'm like, oh, boy, I think... Oh, I think this is going to work. And it's crazy how quickly that changed, and everybody felt that. Like, I, I don't know of too many people you know, for the most part, left or right, that didn't, you know, certainly there's people who look at the convoy as like this evil entity, but most Canadians are like, this has to work. Like, I can't, I can't, we can't keep going the way we're going. And I think a lot of people- They were
1: begging us, Sean, begging us, you know, Canadians, like we can't go on this way. You know, people I talk to every day, they were telling me that they were planning their suicides- Every day, I heard that at least three times. It, like, it was, we were in just such a state, you know, and nobody knew what to do. I mean, there was all these protests around the country, but it was like nothing was getting traction. And then I, I, I don't know why it was us. I don't know why it was our organization and not somebody else's. I mean, I just recognized, because I started the social media, and uh, obviously the GoFundMe that was the first thing when the donations started pouring and I was like oh my god like I have very basic accounting skills right I've like $20,000 is just what I had in my head I was like maybe we can raise that I I can totally manage 20 20 grand that's fine I very quickly realized it was moving out of the realm of my reality so Um, And and then the social media, too. So I had to reach out to some friends to get me to help or to help get me with the messaging, the messaging, because I was getting all these messages in. And then I had to start a subgroup of the main Facebook page because people are like, we live in North Bay, Ontario, and we're going to bring... Coffee and donuts and deaf or whatever, you know. So I had to start like a subgroup for support and get volunteers to manage these all these donations that people wanted to do. Or, you know, if we people needed a place to stay, there's like homes in such and such where if you need a, a bed for the night, stop here. Like, a, you know, it just grew so big so fast. Um, but again, I think that's why it was just a perfect storm of events and. I do think a lot of people were trying to get their voices heard, but they were being completely ignored. And especially, like, who's going to listen to little Sean Newman or Tamara Leach when they're not even listening to like Brian Bridal and Dr. Francis Christian? Right?
0: Honestly, yes. You know, it, it's uh, with the amount of food uh, I truckle about this from time to time. I had so many people reach out to me, and one of the things Chris had told me is, yeah, just uh, yeah, we'd take food. And so anyone who asked, I'd <laughs> be like, I hear they'd take food. So <laughs> I like to think I played just a small part in all the food that <laughs> yeah. showed up because I just kept telling people, I think food. I, I every they just keep saying food, just give them food because I by that time, I mean, you know, you're you're like i'm i'm just laughing at myself as all the messages that i got which you know was probably a drop in the bucket compared to what you received and others certainly who were a part of the going from all the different towns and but I laughed because I kept telling people food over and over again. I, well, I hear food and I hear they're coming here this day. And I, I don't know the ins and outs. I don't even know how to get you in contact with half these people. Just take food. Yeah. And the amount of food was oh, insane. Oh, it's
1: cra- Reefers. Did you ever get out to any of the yes. outposts? Yes. Like, it was amazing. My first trip out there blew me away. I mean, there was everything from like lip chap, like boxes and boxes and tents and trailers and dog food and baby formula and diapers and canned goods and lip chap and gloves and socks and underwear like every possible thing under the sun somebody donated thunder Thunder bay we pulled into the
0: uh, i don't know where all the trucks were parked the convoy yeah and uh we hadn't eaten like all day like it'd been a long day and uh I remember being like, oh, I kind of feel guilty because I'm not a trucker, and I don't know if I should go ask. And I, I maybe we should just go find a restaurant. Anyways, you know, I worked up the courage, and we walked to the back of one of the reefers. And uh, the guy said he looked at me. He's like, "You hungry?" And I'm like, "Ah, well, no. If you need to give other people, don't worry." And he's like, "No, no, get over here." And he just started like shoveling things out of it. And he's like, "If we don't eat this, it's like." Mm, and I'm yes. like, "Oh my God!" I'm like, "Did it? When did this all come?" In? He's like, "Oh, like I don't know, the last day. Like this is. He's like, "We can't keep up with it." I'm like. Oh, like (laughs) this
1: is kind of insane. That was, uh, was that the part behind the, or the parking lot behind the gas station in Thunder Bay? I think there was two. Anyways, yeah, there was like people walking around with like hot chili and just like, the food was crazy. It was everywhere. People took such good care of us.
0: The, well, the, (laughs) I, I, I joke about this in Ottawa. I, I should have lost weight for how many miles I put on walking. Mm Mm-hmm but every block had somebody cooking 100 hot dogs and just throwing them at everyone. The next street you over would have uh, that big old pot of chili, and you're like, who's cooking chili? And they're like, you want some? And I'm like, well, I can't say no to that. And then you'd eat it, and you're like, this is fantastic. And the next one, I remember, um, I forget if it's Domino's. I hate to give a company credit that, that uh, I want to say Domino's. I'm going to go with Domino's, okay. and somebody can correct me on this. But anyways, there. The, the guys that were saying they had dominoes to give out i'm like oh did you go buy it and they're like no this delivery guy showed up uh it was the night before and was trying to sell us dominoes you know and just come down with a box of pizzas and said oh it's 20 bucks a box and he's like dude look around you yeah we can have as much food as we want we're not buying you pizzas yep. and he's Read like the room <laughs> and so then he left and the next night he came back and he had the same box of pizzas and he said here give it out and i was like that's super cool. And so yeah. you could have a slice. And, and I, I want to say it was Domino's. I, yeah. I hate to, to it could have been a different pl- uh, pizza company, but it was a mainstream one that I, right. you would never thought would do something yep. like that. And, uh, well, the food, I mean, I don't have to tell it to you, but like, uh, I remember the, the, I think it was Spencer Boats and me talking about it, how the, the front line of trucks right along Parliament Hill were getting hammered with food and so it just slowly from there grew out to the next block to the next block and and the food just kept going further and further away from where the actual protest was because there was so much of it like think about that like that's you know like i don't even know how to comprehend that at times yeah
1: yeah i know and the the support the support was amazing and and i mean a lot of that was like from Ottawa, Ottawa residents you know, like I ran into Ottawa Res, I ran into federal government employees. And you know, if you were in that crowd, and you saw people with masks on or face coverings, it was unusual, and you noticed it. And so the first thought was, well, it's got to be Antifa. They're wearing masks, it's Antifa. Um, But what I discovered this day is I was down at Parkway, Sir John A. Parkway, and there was this, these two people there that I noticed kind of watching me and they were covered, like all you could see was their eyeballs. And so I just kind of noted it, you know, whatever. And, uh, it was a cold day, so I get the, I get it. And then I started talking to him and they were a married Muslim couple that lived, um, in the vicinity of Sir John A. And they were going down every day and taking firewood, blankets, food. Water, whatever they needed. They went down every day to find out what those people needed. And of course, they didn't want to be seen. So she had already lost her job. She was on uh, leave without pay. In order to go back to work, she was going to have to get vaccinated and take a two week COVID 19 education, whatever brainwashing it's very sounds like very much like Jordan Peterson's situation right and he was about to be laid off he was about to be put on leave without pay and you know they they were supporting us just as much that this this affected a lot of federal employees also I mean even when I was in for the inquiry I ran into people because we were staying right downtown I ran into people that worked for a certain MP's offices that flat out told me that they hope that we kicked ass at the inquiry and they wanted him fired <laughs> yeah not Trudeau but you know just a certain MP um, so we did have a ton of support even in Ottawa itself well I, I don't know about you but I met a
0: bunch of families that were coming down after their workday was done to set up a uh, little food I don't know I, Stands, whatever you want to call it, would serve food to everybody for like three, four hours, and then go home, and then they come back the next day. Yeah, uh, that, that that was rather wild, you know, uh, to think that. You know, you bring up the inquiry. Oh yeah, I don't, I don't. I mean, we can hash out uh, thoughts on the inquiry and this and that. I, I, I was more curious, you know, when you were in the heat of of uh, those weeks, and then of course after it, you go to jail, and you know. It, Then you get to sit back and listen to the inquiry, you know. Certainly, were we all hoping at the end he was going to go, it was unconstitutional, blah, 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 blah? Yes. And did that happen? No. But in saying that, all the police testimonies, the the the, everything that came out of there. I was curious, you know, for for a a woman who was like right in the heart of it, to now have the opportunity to sit back and listen to all the different views on what you were doing and part of. What stood out to you the most out of the inquiry uh, that, that you were like, wow, I can't believe they just... Because, I mean, like, so much came out. You know, Tom uh, Korsky from Blacklocks tells me this all the time. He's like, you know, once they start releasing all the documents, that's where the gold is. You got to pay attention to that, blah, yes. blah, blah. And what happened through the inquiry? All these guys got to testify and ask the right question. They just, like, condemned. Like, I mean, it was just... I don't know. For me, it was pretty, like, black and white. Now, the end result wasn't what anyone wanted, or at least not on this side. But I was curious, you know, you being in the heart of it, and when you're in the heart of, uh, you know, the storm, I don't think you're paying attention to a, a whole... I mean, you're trying to, but I assume it's it's a little difficult. And then having jail after, for as long as you went, now hearing all these testimonies, what stuck out to you about the inquiry?
1: Oh, boy. Uh, f- the first couple weeks was crazy because it was I heard a lot of hurt feelings and I heard a lot of paranoia and I remember saying to Eva it was after the city officials and the the Ottawa City Police were starting to come in and testify and I said when did these people become so terrified of their own citizens like it was well, that has the potential for this and there's the potential for that. Well, there's always a, but there's a potential the sun's going to explode tomorrow and we're all going to die. But, you know, we're not, we're not uh, losing our minds over it. Um, this, the city councillors, you know, to insinuate that a semi-truck is a weapon and and uh, propane tanks and jerry cans like then then your neighbor is probably a terrorist because they probably have those in their garage like it was ridiculous and and you know the superintendent or the the head of the intelligence of the opp to get up and say the lack of violence was shocking that I mean, he came right out and basically called out the politicians and the media because he's saying what you guys are saying doesn't match up with the intelligence that we're collecting. And none of that is getting talked about right now, which I find really unusual, you know, um, because this is all important stuff. And especially especially now with all this Chinese interference coming up. I mean, you think that CSIS our intelligence services agency um, kind of should know what they're talking about. And yet, I mean, the Liberal government and the mainstream media is kind of trying to dismiss it almost now, like, oh, that's just CSIS. Like, it's ceases. <laughs> you know? They're coming forward with these concerns. And and uh, David Vignol, from the head of CSIS, even said, you know, that, that we didn't meet any of the criteria. We didn't meet the Section 2 of the CSIS Act. Flat out. I mean, there's four criteria or one of the four criteria that have to be met to invoke the act. And none of them were met. So that tells me now that that legislation isn't worth the paper that it's written on. It means nothing. If you can just unilaterally go in and and, uh, on paranoia or what could happen or, you know, invoke the Emergencies Act, the greatest suspension of civil liberties that we have, you know, it was slight overkill, and so That's an it was easy way to put it. Slight it, overkill, yes. It, it was um, it was difficult to sit through a lot of it. A lot of it, you know. There was days I felt really frustrated. There was days I felt vindicated. Uh, there was it was kind of an emotional roller coaster, but it was all exhausting. And then, of course, when you get to the end, um, when when we had the government officials coming in, and it was just, I don't know. I remember thinking more than once sitting in that inquiry thinking I wonder what people from countries like that have terrible 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 problems and issues are thinking if they're watching this like this is embarrassing and none of us were surprised by his decision I think we were all holding out hope that he would have reached a different conclusion it still felt like a gut punch And and I was, I guess, still a little surprised because of the evidence, (laughs) like the actual evidence that was presented, not how the the council men and women felt, not how interim chief Bell felt. You know, here you have the interim chief of police basically sitting on a stand trying to redefine what violence means. Like it was a clown show. Um, uh, there was a lot of, I, I was, I was happy to see that a lot of the evidence finally came out uh, too. And um, really happy with the way that our legal team got it presented and got it out there. And, you know, they were, they were basically working 24 seven. I mean, especially by the time the government uh, people came in, the feds came in. I mean, they were dop- d- dropping documents uh, at nine or 10 o'clock at night that, the, all these the lawyers had to go through, and be ready for the witness the next day. Like there was just those kind of shenanigans and oh, a the redactions and yeah. the cabinet confidentiality, like the, where there was none. I mean, and then you see the the politicians get up there, and they're basically just got that kind of smug, smarmy look on their face. Like, how dare you even ask me this? Like, I, I really got the sense towards the end, it was like all these dirty blue-collar workers with their dirty working hands came to our city and, you know, dirtied our city. Um, I I actually flew home for a few days in the middle when the Windsor Coots people uh, got up to testify because it had nothing to do with us. Not that I wasn't interested, but, you know, I'd been there for a while and I just felt I need to go home and just get out of this atmosphere for a couple days and, you know, kind of clear my head. And then we came back and then it was, of course, the the uh, government officials and stuff. So, I mean, what did you think watching it? I mean, you were there and you were part of this whole thing. And, um, I mean, when you're watching, say, Zexie Lee, you know, discussing it as like it was the purge, you know, like you were there. How did you feel watching all of this? The,
0: um... The entire thing in its entirety, I would argue to Canadians, if they haven't watched any of it, it's probably the best television you will see all year long. Now, it doesn't get the conclusion you would that I wanted. Um, and it certainly had me saying a few things under my, my breath when, you know, oh, well, I guess not under my breath. I was talking to myself in a room watching it, you know, because I mean, it was long days. There was, you know, I, I think I said this to Eva when I had her on and actually Tom for that matter is like very few people could give up eight to what 12 hours a day to watch it but if they did pick out some interviews to sit and just listen to what was being said and how they were talking about things and just slug through parts of it man there were some gems in there but like the ridiculousness of you know some of the testimonies to try and paint it as you know uh well, everything you've said, you know, like... A it, terrorist it, insurrection. Yeah, well, and the fumes from gas and the fumes from the units and the noise and blah, 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 blah. Somebody pointed it out uh, uh, on... on. Um, so I told you before, you know, we started, I my final interviews there I did, the final day that I walked around and, and talked to people. I never released it until a year later, which uh, we, we did um, on the anniversary of the convoy. And uh, one of the people commented, they're like, you know, for all the loud honking that everybody's complaining about, you're walking around the city of Ottawa. I can't hear it. Now, you can hear it in some of it, right? But other times you can't hear anything, right? I'm sitting there on the street talking to people. And, and it's there's dead no quiet. There's no dead hand. quiet. <laughs> and certainly it wasn't like that all the time. No. But I, I, I tried to um, try to remind, like, I I was sitting in the room you know when it was like you guys have to open up emergency lanes. Mm-hmm. That happened within like fifteen minutes. Yeah. I was I was rather impressed. I was like, holy shit, that that happened quick. Mm-hmm. And then uh, you know like I remember getting um, listen, guys, we can't just honk nonstop. We have to have hours parameters. We mm-hmm. we should do it in unison. We should try and do blah 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 blah. And like that doesn't get talked about. And you know these are these are all the things that uh, if you um, We're investigating this. Let's say you're an investigative reporter, like a few phone calls and you'd have, I feel like you'd be to the bottom of this real fast. And uh, so no, watching the inquiry. um
1: That was my biggest takeaway to answer your question. That was my biggest takeaway at the inquiry. I watched Peter slowly get up and, you know, I watched all this testimony and I'm thinking to myself, if you would have just called us, like, if you would have just, you know, Steve Bell or these politicians or anyone, like, if you guys would have just talked to somebody, we wouldn't all be sitting here right now.
0: Yeah, I, I mentioned I had, and it's kind of, for the listener, I apologize, because I interviewed two military guys today. But, uh, you know, you're episode 400, which is kind of cool to say out That's loud. very cool. And um, they're, they'll come out Monday anyways. Uh, I asked them what the... Um, biggest problem i think i said problem we have in canada right now and it's and they mentioned lack of communication and you i mean you can you can literally see that in what you're talking about right like
1: which is an ironic which is really ironic because we live in a time where communication is easy easy right
0: yeah i mean you you wanted to get an answer from what the convoy was there from i mean there was all you had to do is like walk down to a hotel like two minutes from where all the protests were going on, and you could have walked in and talked to no less than a handful of people that would have sat and gladly chatted. I, I, I witnessed the amount of people coming and going out of the Arc Hotel. Was and, uh, it, would have been, <laughs> it was insane. It was crazy, it, it, wasn't it? Wasn't it?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow, yeah, it really was, yeah always new faces too i mean of course we had the core people that were always there but every day there was like just more people flooding and coming in and stuff right it was yeah it's uh yeah
0: the um apologize i get you know sitting in edmonton and i'm 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 going home. My kids are probably asleep. Nobody cares where dad's yet. you know, at this point. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I'm laughing at myself as I check my phone. <laughs> um, You know, the... Uh there was so much that happened in Ottawa that is, like, hard to rationalize. I always talked... Actually, I don't say I always talk. I just, like, to me, like so much emotion mm-hmm. so much desperation mm-hmm. so much happiness hope so much hope sadness tears emotion energy uh i i, I don't normally yeah. F- yeah like just yeah. like uh just everywhere everybody's wearing it on their and we were all breaking the law i remember talking to a guy <laughs> in subway and uh
1: speak for yourself i wasn't breaking the law <laughs> fair and so i am mean you better edit that part out <laughs>
0: <laughs> I, I, go, I I walk in because I was looking for the uh, a bathroom so I, I okay so I'm gonna here here's my stuff okay give it to me <laughs> I'm all, I'm at, at Parliament and I have to go use the bathroom but there's no outhouses so Sean starts walking um uh, walks there's a McDonald's so I walk in they say sir you can't be in here with a mask and I'm I, I don't know if I ha- I was just in a happy go-lucky mood or what so I'm like okay. So I walk back out. There's two cops there. So I walk up and, uh, no, I'm going to back it up because I talked to him first. I talked to the cops. And I said, where's the bathroom? They say McDonald's. So I walk over to McDonald's. They say, you need a mask. So then I come back out. I walk over to the cops again and I say, can I get a mask? And the look on their faces, you know, like everybody is, is and I'm putting it in quotes, breaking the law at this point. Nobody's wearing a mask. Oh, Nobody's yeah, social yeah. distancing. Nobody's doing anything. <laughs> Anyways, here's <laughs> yeah, this guy you know, wearing a hoodie in minus 40 weather going, can I get a mask? And the <laughs> guy's like, uh, sure. So he grabs me a mask and I said, man, I just got to use the bathroom. They're saying I got a mask. I just don't care. I'm just going to go wear a mask. Anyway. So I put the mask on, I walk in the bathroom, uh, walk in the McDonald's and they go, uh, so, uh, welcome to McDonald's, sir. What can we do for you? And I said, I'd like to use the washroom. And they go, sorry, sir. It's locked and it's uh, not available to the public. And I'm like, you gotta be kidding me. I'm like, so then I pull the mask off. Now I'm really chapped because I really have to pee. Yeah. So I walk back across, and the cop now sees me coming. Right, and he goes, "Oh, you get the bathroom." And I'm like, "No, they're not opening it to the public." And he goes, "Oh," and I'm like, "And I really have to pee, and I gotta know why is it that they can't." Anyway, so I'm getting, I'm, I'm talking to these cops, and they say, "Well, I tell you what, just go behind the, just, just go over there." And I'm like, "I'm a human being. I'm not peeing on the sidewalk, so I can get busted for." And he's like, "No, no, no, we won't bust you. We won't ever." And I'm like, "Dude." I have been at this like I'm like I even wore a mask yeah. just to use the bathroom, yeah, and you're is. telling me I, I when does my rights ever count in this thing? Yeah. And so he goes, I tell you what, there's a subway, and it's just down the road. And he's like, maybe they got a bathroom. So I walk in. It's pretty. It's pretty like you couldn't tell it was open. The uh, it's a pretty dark place. And anyways, their bathroom was broken, but but they were super nice. And they're like, but you can use it. The handles broke. You kind of gotta. Anyways, I ended up getting them a. Uh, a plumber to come in and fix the toilet oh, so that nice. they could use it. Anyways, oh, you're so, so sweet. I so I gotta use the bathroom. Anyways, I come up and I'm like, it's kind of it's kind of dead in here. And the guy's like, yeah, we've been you know, protests going on. Nobody's eating. I'm like, but people gotta eat. I mean, it's Subway. Like, I so I'm like, I tell you what, I'll help you out. I'll I'll, I'll go and I, I was uh, I was talking to people on the street, but I said, you know, we, we gotta we gotta we gotta liven this place up. Can we turn some lights on? Can we show that it's like kind of open? And the guy's like, uh, I, I don't know what you mean. So I like he has this on this table. He has all these old posters for Subway, and I just start putting them up to show a little bit of color on the outside and show they're. I don't know. In my brain, I thought they're opening. He's like, dude, th- those are like two days old. You can't put those up. Those deals don't exist. And I go, dude, look out on the street. Everybody here is not wearing a mask. Is not doing things. They're not abiding by anything. Nobody cares. Just yeah. let them come in and spend the money and and help you out. Yeah, that's right. I mean, yeah, and. I'm like, this is the most wild thing I've experienced. Where I'm like, just break your company's stupid rules, sell some sandwiches, yeah. and bring in some of the, like the joy that is sitting out on the street. You could see it walking everywhere. Yeah. And here it was. I don't know. Anyways, I,
1: like, well, and those businesses that did stay open. I mean, the the Tim Hortons at the corner was. Wild. Oh my god, they've never made so much money, and. You know, they also had truckers going in and mopping the floors and cleaning the Clean bathrooms. Cleaning the tables. And, and cleaning, cleaning the, the tables. tables because we were bussing it all. Totally. Because, you know, it was, it was slushy and dirty and muddy. So, you know, they are wiping the floor. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. <laughs> you know?
0: Well, I told you before we started, like, one of the things I did at the hotel is I just started cleaning up garbage. Yeah, that's right. Because nobody's doing it. Yeah. And after, like, folks, I don't think we realize at a hotel how many people work at keeping a hotel clean? Think about it. You got, you know, where we sit today, they got a full hotel tonight. Like it's, I, yeah. uh, it sounds like it's quite packed. The lobby certainly seemed like it was buzzing. So let's just assume you have, uh, I'm going to ballpark it, 400 rooms. What's that? 800 people on average, yeah. just to a room, let's just say. 800 people with their, you know, their their laundry, their blah, da, 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 da. And back then you got COVID, so they're not coming into your room to do anything. Right. So you're putting all your dishes out in front, then they closed down the, the restaurant. Yeah. Right. Then they turned off the hot water. And so now you got people just like in disarray. You got like dirty dishes and garbage laying everywhere. And this is all in the hallways and nobody to clean it. Why? Because well, one, it was hard to get downtown is what they were saying Two, COVID rules. So everyone's like, well, we can't come in. There's Mm -hmm. too many people here already. And so, (laughs) and then the, the thing that the hotel staff is saying is, you know, my biggest problem with you guys is, you know, there's garbage everywhere. I'm like, all right, well, give me a garbage bag. We'll clean it up, you know? And that mentality that even I had was everybody had that. Yeah, that's You know, right. we, we talked yeah. about this earlier on. Like, you need somebody with garbage bags, they went out and did it. You need somebody with laundry, somebody showed up and started taking care of it. I was out I mean,
1: front of that hotel picking cigarette butts. Cigarette off, butts. Off the ground. And I, I asked them, you know, do you guys have a, like a jar or something that we could just, you know, uh... Uh, and I was, well, I ended up leaving that hotel, but I mean, I was going to go buy one of those, those smoking, whatever, the, you put your smoke in and I don't know what they're called, but um, you to, to put out front because, yeah. you know, there's like cigarette butts everywhere. Uh, and I can't tell you how many times I was out front cleaning, cleaning up cigarette butts.
0: Let me ask you this. You've waited or not waited, but uh, gauged or maybe been told, I don't know the answer roughly a year to talk on media? Was that something that happened that you're like, it's time or were you just fed up enough that you're like, I'm willing to come on and talk to Sean? That's pretty
1: much it. Um, obviously lawyers are very careful. And because the, the wording of my conditions is so terrible and broad and some of it doesn't even make any sense. Uh, he really wanted to err, I think, on the side of caution. Um, the judge did say in my last hearing, because I remember the crime prosecutor trying to get him to say that I couldn't do media. He was reiterating my social media ban and and interviews, and she and of uh, the judge kind of laughed at him, and he's like, "Of course she can do media, like you know, and of course she can do interviews and." So uh, I never forgot that. But, you know, I listened to my criminal lawyer and I was like, yeah, yeah no no interviews, no interviews. Because, I, you know, I didn't want to go back to jail and I didn't want to, uh, I'm not afraid of jail. I'm just afraid of, A, my dogs, my husband, my children. I mean, it's not just about me being in a jail cell. I got that. That's the easy part. It's the people that have to deal with that on the outside. Yeah, the that, chaos that affects, that's right? created you know and I'm not gonna lie to you like even though I know I'm innocent and I know what really happened it's no fun to call your kids from jail ever you know I think my grandson who will be seven next month you know just found out that I had even been to jail his parents hadn't even told him but of course I mean it's it's getting to that point where you know he's well, think- great. he's going into grade two and uh, you know, next year. And so it's going to come up, right? And um, um I lost my train of thought there. Uh,
0: grandson, your yeah, grandma my... is a total badass, you know? Like, <laughs> honestly. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's wild to me, you, you know? Uh, like some of the ramifications of what have happened until you get a leader of this country who can see it for what it is. Is like I assume... You know, you mentioned Ontario. That's been lifted, so now you can travel the country again. Mm. But I, I don't know. Can you get leave the country?
1: Oh yeah, I can leave. Yeah, yeah. I can. I haven't tried yet. Like, I'd like to take my. Uh, I'd like to take my passport and just go maybe down to Haver for the day or something, and just 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 to see if what they'll do at the border. You know, because I, I, I don't know. It's. Uh, I'm curious. <laughs> Uh, so and anyways, um, I do remember back to your point. So I kind of just got to this point the last little while where you know, I'm not afraid anymore. And um, I'm not gonna, I know what my limitations are. Um, I've been known to, you know, walk the line a little and push buttons and boundaries, but I, I do recognize what those boundaries are. And uh, I'll, I'll just stay within that. And um, I, you know, I, I guess the the tipping point for me was the release of the relo's report, and then having Trudeau coming out and talking about, "Oh, I've got Canadians backs, and we've just have Canadians backs, and I'm all about keeping Canadians safe." And I thought my head was gonna friggin' explode when I heard him say that for the umpteenth time, and. Because I am the one out here and Chris Barber's out here and, you know, all these other people that were involved are out here listening to stories from real Canadians, like I said, that were about to kill themselves or that were living in their cars or lost their business or didn't get to say goodbye to their mother when she died. He should be out here listening to these stories and then you tell me how you had anybody's backs but your own and you tell me who you were keeping safe because it sure as hell wasn't them. And that and the Relo report was sort of my tipping point. You know, I was like, this is ridiculous. And so Well, I, 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 for one, am happy
0: to hear you doing different because, uh, you know, Canada needs its strong voices. Uh, I was, I'm a very big... Um, I really like what Jordan Peterson has to say. Uh, he's changed my life. I don't think anyone—that's a surprise to anyone who listens. I, 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 I was you know early, late to the take doesn't matter. Um, for some I was late, for others I was early. But when I first started listening to him, read his book and everything else, and I was, I was really disappointed. I think is the word I'd probably use because he went. I thought he went quiet, but then you read his second book, and you start to realize some of the health issues and everything else he's had. But uh, I was like, "There's another Albertan who's uh, sharp as attack, strong voice, commands, you know, blah 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 blah." And uh, with you, um, with Chris, with all these different voices, it's like we need them all. Like, and so when I, what you know, when I've been, you know, this, I've been kind of. Poking to see when you're going to be, mm-hmm. you know, like ready to talk, or when they were going to allow you to talk, or whatever the words are, and uh, I just didn't ask. <laughs> to be honest, when 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 you finally said, "Yeah, I'm ready to go," I'm like, yeah. "It's it's time," yeah. because uh, um, we need uh, not only your voice but other voices across Canada to to um, to share their story and allow Canadians to hear what actually went on. Mm-hmm. Because you know, I act like all my audience knows exactly who you are. And I assume they do because we've all seen your face, but hearing it out of your voice and hearing some of the things you have to say and what you went through is really powerful stuff because you've been a, a figurehead uh, for the last year for both sides of this coin. One side, you know, I, I mean, you walk on water. You, you can do no wrong. You are just like this. And the other side paints you as like, I mean, you yeah. you created the insurrection you were there to just you know i don't They're know looking
1: for devil horns on that's my right head, right yeah, yeah. and it's uh, crazy
0: but but they get to paint that picture when they don't get to hear from you right they just get to tell the story and nobody's there to refute it other than people are trying to you know go to bat for you but it, it's really powerful to hear um you get to open up and and talk some of your thoughts through because uh i mean th- that is what uh that's what i needed at jordan peterson i guess is where i was going mm-hmm. is when he started talking again, I'm like, "Oh, thank the Lord, right? Like he needs to be doing this more. He needs because when you go silent, people get to talk for you, and that's
1: well it it creates a vacuum, and somebody's gonna fill that vacuum with something, and it's not always good, you know, so uh, yeah, you know in in that respect, you know we were talking before we started this, you know there's there seems like there's no middle ground anymore you're either on this side or you're on that side and that that seems to be the case with me and, and you know I'm sort of blessed in a way not to be on social media because I see like people send me screenshots and I like I, I see some of the things like I've been called a whore I have been called a Nazi I've been called a terrorist I have been called a racist I have been called a grifter I've been called a thief. I mean, there's really, really nothing that I haven't been called. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, uh, and, and so I'm really glad that I don't get to see that. I mean, there's also lovely, beautiful things too. Don't get me wrong. Um, but I remember, you know, Chris and I were on the way to Ottawa last year and friends uh, would just send me all this terrible stuff that was being written about me, right? And I finally said to this one lady in particular, I said, stop. I don't care. I don't want to read it. I'm on my way to Ottawa. I need to stay focused. And I need to stay positive. I, I don't need to read this stuff. Because it's, it's really at the end of the day irrelevant. Like, my dad always says other people's opinion of you is not your business. And, it, and it's right. He's right. Like, I'm not going to let negativity ruin my day because I know who I am and I'm comfortable with who I am. And I mean, I know what really happened. I know what my motivations were and I'm okay with that. And, you know, 10% of the population is never going to like you just because.
0: Yeah. You know, um, one of the things that, uh, I I don't know how, I don't know if you want to talk about this. I don't know if I'm pulling you in anything and I don't want to, but like, um, i the reason it comes to mind is I bring up Dr. Robert Malone again, cause I literally just had him on and he's been under attack by, you know, some people that I have had on the podcast and respect and, and, you know, and he got talking about fifth generation warfare and that type of thing. And, uh, you know, one of the things about the inquiry is, you know, I met Bridget and, uh, I don't mean to single anyone just out, but, um, there was a, a, a day or two in the inquiry where it got, the only word that comes to mind is bizarre, and I was just like, "What is going on?" Like this is this is maybe undermining the entire thing that happened, and certainly I wasn't there for it all. So I, I just sat back and kind of listened and was kind of like, "This is this is strange television." You know, um, mm-hmm. was it strange for you as well? Or do you see where did you did, was this already percolating under the surface? I, I don't know because it, it just felt like there was a lot of infighting, I guess is the word I would use.
1: Well, and it's it's really sad it's actually heartbreaking to see how you know some relationships have fallen apart and uh, and again i mean we were just all complete strangers you know i mean we didn't know and personalities don't always mix and that's fine i mean you just move forward right and uh yeah it was really heartbreaking in some of the instances that have happened with some infighting and you know my personal opinion is that there's nothing like this ever happens without egos getting involved nothing i mean and that's just human nature that's not even a criticism but that's just how that goes and then of course when you're when there's money involved like if this thing has taught me one thing and one thing only it's that the saying that money is the root of all evil is absolutely true and i felt that even on the way last year like you've heard me say it right i mean the girls would message me and say bump it up another million you know we've already we've, we're going to blow past this and i would be like so excited but like so sick to my stomach at the same time because when you're talking millions of dollars i knew the lawyers were coming of course they're coming we're talking about millions of dollars you know and um i, I think I think in her case, I don't know. I don't know her story. Well, and we don't,
0: mean, we don't need to single anyone yeah, out. I didn't mean and, to. And I, don't,
1: and I wouldn't want to either. Like, I mean, I she just has more, her story.
0: I just mean more in the general of, uh, you know, everybody that was on the same side.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There's
0: been infighting. Yeah. Uh, 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 that's a general. I, 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 it happens to every I, and organization. I, and I guess I, I, I almost want to take a step back. I didn't mean to single anyone out. I just, to me, that, you know, when you watched it, you're
1: like, this is, this oh, is but, strange. Yeah, her feelings about me are pretty public. And yeah. and that's okay. Like yeah. I said, she doesn't have to like me. <laughs> you know, that's okay. I, I don't mind. She's got, she's got her story and that's totally fine. And it, it, it's just, I, th- I don't think there's too many organizations that don't get touched with with some type of infighting and and you know some people and i'm not singling her out by any means i mean i just mean in general i mean you know some people like to feel like they're in control or they can run this or you know i don't know and then you have like like i said a situation like the convoy which just all came together so fast. I mean, most of us had never met each other before, let alone, you know, even knew who their names were and we're thrust into this thing. And let's be honest, I mean, it grew so fast that I mean, our it quickly went from, you know, me helping Chris and Bridget and some truckers get to Ottawa to basically holy shit uh we're going to be responsible for all these people on the highway in this convoy all these people on the side of the road you know we that, that's a whole safety thing and i think it's a bloody miracle that chris led that convoy all the way to ottawa without one single incident
0: do you think it's a miracle
1: i do think it's a miracle i mean how many trucks did we have well we could never keep count anyways but <laughs> nobody got nobody got hurt Uh, nobody got run over. There wasn't any car accidents. Like it was just, you know, when we pulled into Ottawa, we were a hundred kilometers long and not one accident. And that's what I mean. Right. It was, it was a very divine experience. (laughs) Yeah.
0: It's an experience like that, that doesn't make you question if there is more to this world than meets the eye.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I felt it right from the start, right from the beginning just too many coincidences too many things that happened too many you know opportunities that presented themselves that just didn't even make any sense you know um if we had a certain job or something that we really needed a certain skill set for that person would just show up you know what i mean like it was uh yeah, it was, uh, it, it was honestly the most beautiful experience of my life. And uh, I'll, I'll never, I'll never forget it. And uh, it it is a crying shame that the mainstream media portrayed it uh, in lockstep with the government. I mean, that's some of the evidence that did come out. I mean, they they had this whole narrative crafted before I even got in Big Red and Medicine Hat. You know, like they had it all planned out. They had Trudeau's talking points about how terrible we were on the streets of Ottawa laid out in an email three days before we got to Ottawa. And then he's on TV two days later saying those exact same talking points. Like, thank God for people like you and uh, the Western Standard and Rebel and, you know, Andrew Lawton, True North, Rupa, all of them that, that actually got out there and and tried to capture what was really happening independent journalists and alternative media and even anyone with a cell phone they all became citizen journalists there right and so thank god could you imagine how different this would be if this was say 20 years ago when we didn't have cell phones all's we would have had was the narrative that the media was painting and the scary things that they were printing in the paper it would be a totally different scenario.
0: Yeah, for once, uh, what at times got us into this situation helped uh, expose the situation for what it was. Yeah,
1: and, and I mean, kudos to you guys. I got nothing but respect for you. Uh, you know, uh, you put you're putting your your reputations on the line too. You know, every time you go out, you it was and Rupa Samariana just impressed me so much. Like she was one of the first people um, that I would call from the mainstream. Okay. Um, That actually got out there and was talking to people and, you know, talking to the truckers and the supporters and just people that just came to see, you know, what was going on and getting the real story. And so when you hear, you know, from from people like her that actually work in the in legacy media or have um, talk about. You know, just not even being able to comprehend what the mainstream media narrative is compared to what's going on. You know, that's some pretty serious issues. And uh, you know, Trish Wood, same thing. Former uh, from a former, uh, yeah,
0: Fifth Estate.
1: Yeah, and um, and there's more. Yeah, and they're appalled at what's happening. You know, so yeah, I, I hope I hope very soon in the very near future, you guys are the mainstream media. I really wouldn't, do. Wouldn't that be something? That would be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> We're ready for some truth. <laughs> um,
0: you, uh, before I let you out of here, you have a book coming up?
1: Yes. Yes, uh, it's finished, pretty much finished and ready to go. We're just getting every uh, the little final details done here. I'm really hoping it'll be out within the next few weeks, um, and it's going to be called um, Hold the Line, My Story from the Heart of the Freedom Convoy. Uh, And I'm really looking forward to it. It's a great, really hard to get that story into 200 pages. (laughs) You know, I, uh, when we were discussing at the beginning, you know, how long we wanted this book to be, uh, we're like 200, 250, you know, we want it to be a nice read, like, you know, uh, but I I was like, this is like a Lord of the Rings trilogy with prequels and sequels. How are we going to fit this story into 200 pages? You know, you've got, you know, the origin story and the organization part th- that was 10 days. And then you've got the actual trip across Canada. And then you've got, you know, the protest in Ottawa. But then you've got all these interpersonal relationships that were going on. And, and you know, the money and and the honking. And, you know, like there's so many different aspects to this. I mean, it would be a three-hour movie, you know. There's well, so many components.
0: You think at some point it probably should be a three-hour movie. To be honest, yeah. I don't know. I um, I look forward to that. Mm. Um, somehow, I feel like that will be a, a bestseller. I I I, I certainly uh, wish it for you. I hope so. Um, Thank b- you. But uh, I I can't see how it wouldn't be. You know, I just I, you know, when that gets released, I just feel like it'll be like a little bit of a grassroots movement to to make it so because I think so many people will be interested in it. You know, you know if you'd been out since day one, just hammering media, 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 media. Maybe it would be different. Maybe. But I'm like, you know, it's like you haven't said anything in a year since it went and everybody saw you get arrested and then it's been just silence. It's like... I feel like everybody's going to delve into those pages and be, uh, super enticed to see what, uh, what you write about and some of the stories that come from that. Oh, yeah. I, yeah. I'm, I'm rather looking forward to it if I'm, if I'm being honest. I, well, thank you. I, um, you know, it's been an interesting, interesting ride in general. Um, but, uh, I'm, you know, I'm happy we got to do this and see here too, you know? Finally. yeah. Um, I should ask the final question, yes. you know, crude master, you know, a shout out to crude master. Heath and Tracy McDonald have been supporters of this podcast since pretty much day one, you know, very early on. And uh, I've certainly not made it easy on them, and uh, they continue to support, mm-hmm. and uh, certainly for all of us through the dark days, you know. Anyways, now I, I have this S&P Presents in Edmonton, and uh, I, I, you know, I was looking for major sponsors, so I uh, approached them. And uh, without hesitation, they're like, yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Like what you're doing. Here it is. And I'm like, okay, well, you get a table and this and that. And they're like, no, no, no we don't want any of that. Just just do it. And I'm like, oh, oh okay. Uh, yeah. Right? So um, super cool to have them uh, uh, along for the ride. And the last little segment we do is is the final question brought to you by Crude Master, mm. and it's Heath's words. Oh, okay. Heath, Heath got on the podcast. I, mean, I, I sorry, Heath, I forget what episode you were on, <laughs> but he said something that really stuck with me, and it was uh, here is his words. He said, "If you're going to stand behind a cause, stand behind it absolutely." What's one thing Tamara stands behind?
1: Oh boy, one thing I stand behind Canadians. I, I, I can't I can't explain I can't explain it um, but the unity and the coming together that I that I witnessed I mean I will there are no words that's the thing when you try to describe this how do you uh, describe it at least in the English language which is the only language that I know but you know I mean it was just it was. Unlike anything that I've ever seen before or experienced before, and um, and uh, I will stand behind them and uh, you know defend their rights and freedoms if that's what I'm meant to do, and because it's worth it, and every Canadian deserves to be free. Every Canadian deserves to earn a living. Every Canadian deserves to not have. Uh, The government overreaching into their lives, you know, people need somebody that's going to look after their needs all their needs and I said this in the inquiry if you are going to lead a country you don't just get to pick and choose who you're gonna lead because they like they like your hair or they like your your ideology I mean you are not responsible for just those people you are responsible for everyone and isn't it the truth that don't you learn I learn more from sitting down and talking to someone maybe that I don't agree with then like, uh, you know, that's the thing. With as long as it's sh- respectful. We're in an echo chamber. Yeah. And we, and we tend to be in an echo chamber and, and, um, and I, and I will also stand by my truth. I will definitely stand behind my truth.
0: Well, I appreciate you doing this. I hope it is not the only time we ever sit I down and, and, and do this. Um, certainly, uh, uh, getting to spend an evening with you and, and kind of reconnect and all that good stuff. I appreciate you coming on and, uh, well, I think most Canadians will A, be waiting for the book drop and certainly be paying attention to your court dates and things like that. Uh, what, what is the tentative or the scheduled date for your...
1: Uh, the scheduled date is, for the trial is September twenty or uh, September 5th, sorry. It's a two-week trial scheduled in the fall. But I mean, the last... Chris and I have been in hearings for the last two weeks now, um, three hearings we've had so far, and nothing that was scheduled to be heard on those days has been heard. We were supposed to get our motion for particulars heard on the 16th and 17th of February. Didn't happen that day. Something else was heard. And then we booked another date on the 7th of March and that was nothing happened there. And then we had the, the result of that hearing was supposed to be on the 13th of March and nothing happened there. And yeah, so, you know, I think the punishment in uh, in the legal system because we have a legal system in Canada, not a justice system. Uh, in, in the legal system in Canada, it, the punishment is in the process, and you know it's no skin off their back to drag this out as long as they want. It's not their liberties that have been suspended. Hmm. So, yeah. So tentatively, two weeks in the fall, hopefully, and then hopefully all that stuff's done.
0: Well, good. Well, I'm 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 hoping for you, and well, I mean, I'm I know good majority of Canadians are pulling for you. So either way, um, thanks for doing this and, and coming on and look forward to when we, uh, cross paths in the future.
1: Mm-hmm. Thanks so much. Thank you for having me. And I'm very excited for your event tomorrow and Saturday. Very excited.